Hello and welcome to the Football Grog Podcast. I'm your host Manuel Veth, and as always, I'm joined by Tim on bright and early morning on the Canadian West Coast once again. But it's looking like it's going to be a good one, and we have some fantastic topics to discuss, right, Tim? Yeah, um, yeah, it is early. Uh, it is a little bit early here, but uh, life is great, and we have finally the Champions League is back today, so it's a very exciting. That's my favorite tournament, and then uh, Europa League as well. So we have a few things to talk about that, and a couple of other exciting topics. Yeah, definitely the Champions League. I love it too. That you know the hymn before the games and um, excitement that builds and. Ah, it's just, it's amazing. We have, we have all the previews already up on footballstart.com for this week's games. Um, no, no teams from Germany or Russia involved, but still we, you know, we decide we're going to do it from now on every round anyway. So that's, that's really cool. Really cool. And we have some real, we have one Champions League game to discuss on this pod, right? Andrew and joining us as always is Andrew, uh, from Siberia. The reason why Tim and I have to get up so early, right, Andrew? <laughs> yeah, I'd like to make you guys work hard for your football grand money. So, um, yeah, sorry about that, guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. The Champions League is is a strange one, like you say, for us with just Shakhtar to focus on in one sense. Um, but I cannot wait to get uh, back into competitive football again. It's been it's been a painful three months, and finally, finally, we're hours away from our football grand clubs getting back in action. So. It's a good, it's an emotional podcast, really, today. <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it, it, I wouldn't quite go that far, but <laughs> it is, it is. Oh, it is for me, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, but we do have um, a few things to talk about before um, we get into this podcast, because um, the, the Premier League, uh, the Russian Football Premier League, the transfer window is still open there, and um, there has been some, some movements going on um, and this is only for in uh, Russian league transfers right because um, even though the window is still open teams cannot sign players and um, register them for the UEFA Europa League but Tim you mentioned yesterday to me that there's a couple of players still linked with, Shah- uh, with Spartak Moscow yeah there's a couple of uh, recent uh, rumors and news um, in Spartak so the first one is that uh, Evelyn Popov is on loan. He went mm-hmm. to uh, Rubin Kazan uh, till the end of the season uh, yeah. with the uh, transfer of Khani, who looks like will be will be getting some uh, playing minutes. Um, Popov's time, yeah, his his really perspective doesn't look very bright uh, for the rest of the season. So he went to play. He's 30 years old, and uh, you know he needs to play his football. So the way it will work. It looks like uh, two-thirds of his salary will be covered by Spartak and only one-third will be covered by Rubin. And uh, possibly in the other direction, uh, Elmir Nebiulin, who is the left-back and who is a Russian citizen, he will be moving. Uh, he might be moving. There's rumors he might be moving from Rubin to Spartak. Uh, he has also had some uh, conversations with Zenit. And it's, it's not a done deal. It's still just rumors. But uh, Spartak already made one offer. Which I think um, Rubin declined, but they will make another offer, and there, there are the rumors that uh, Rubin might <clears throat> take take this offer. And um, and the reason I said that he's a Russian citizen because uh, generally speaking, the right and left back in most of the Russian Premier League, but especially in top clubs, it's a Russian passport positions. Mm-hmm. So Almir um, Nabiulin is tend to be. Um, um, you know, competition for Dmitry Kambarov. 
which is uh, which is a good um, you know g- could be a good transfer. And then the final one, uh, final talker, which people has been talking recently. Apparently, Alex Teixeira, who is our football glad player, who used to be in Shakhtar and now mm. plays in China, he had enough of his time looks like in China and he it's impossible to buy him because he is extremely expensive mm. but it, it looks like he has been offered as a loan to Zenit and Spartak to probably two wealthiest clubs in Russia uh, so because they probably the only clubs who can handle his uh, salary but um, I just can't uh, Zenit is really looking for a player into this area because Shatov left to Krasnodar again on loan uh, Spartak is which pretty much Full in, in that area, in that attacking area, because we have we have lots of players. Even we let Evelyn Popov go to, on loan. So um, I'm not sure if, how much truth is it in that rumor and if it will work out. But uh, that's what people have been talking in the past week in in Russia. Alex Tsher is an interesting one, Tim, because you know we covered his transfer from Shakhtar Donetsk. Well, first a failed transfer to Liverpool. Um, which would have been, in my opinion, the right move for him at the time because he's such a talented player. And then that, that was during the time when China still had so much money, right? When there wasn't all these um, clauses that they had and you have that 100% tax now on transfers in China, which wasn't the case back then. But Alex Teixeira was on the verge of playing for the Brazilian national team at the time. And then he decided to do, well, basically career suicide by going to China. Um really odd one for me and he's such an amazing footballer um, such a great player I think when when he left he was on pace of breaking Henrik Mkhitaryan's um, goal scoring record um, and that was at that point halfway through the season right and he was only one or two goals behind Henrik Mkhitaryan's goal scoring record in the Ukrainian Premier League so he's he's an immensely talented player who in my opinion just made the wrong career move and um, maybe trying to resurrect his career. And I think Zenit would be actually a really good fit for him because that's, that's a club. Of course, he can't play in Europe this season anymore, right? Because it's too late to register players. But Zenit are looking like they're going to be back in the Champions League next year. And, um, you know, it, it, it'd be a place where he can play Champions League, where he can play at a big stage at a bigger club. Um, so I think that would be one that would make sense in a lot of ways for him. But yeah, as you said, he's going to be immensely expensive because the, the salary that he's on in China, I think at the time it was 15 million euros after tax. So, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you, you can just imagine that even Zenit with all the gas for money and the financial fair play and all that, it, yeah, it'd be very difficult for them to push this transfer through. But, um, Andrew, uh, another transfer that just come over, um, that I just saw this morning when I got up, uh, Philip Potkiski, um, is back at Anji Mahachkala. <laughs> you know, he's, yeah, yeah. it's such an odd one. Yeah. This one, they're just moving him back and forward all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that and I, well, I, I thought the same. I thought is, wait, hang on a minute. Didn't he just sign for them? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I don't really, I don't really see, um, a great deal of point, to be honest. Um, because, I mean, Angie's squad is just, uh, I don't know why he would want to go back. It's just, there's so much chopping and changing there. Um, I don't know what he wants to get out of it, um, on, on loan. If he's going to move permanently, then if he's not getting enough games, um, you know, on another loan spell and he wants to move permanently somewhere on the promise of a first choice place, then fair enough. But it's just, why, why are we back to Angie when you've already been there? You know what a mess it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
they, they, there's some slightly slightly left field transfers that have caught my eye as well. Um, I'll tell you one I'm particularly keen on is Igor Obukov um, going to Arsenal Tula uh, on loan. Now he spent the season first half of the season uh, at Tumen, and he's been a brilliant, brilliant young keeper. He's only 21, um, but uh, I'm slightly, ever so slightly surprised he's he's earned the move to a Premier League club on loan. Already, I think it's a very good bit of business for. Uh, well, I say business. It's a good move for Zanit to encourage for a young player to get even better experience. Um, so you know, Arsenal Tula, to be fair, bringing in Novotelsev, Zuba. Okay, Obukov is not a top line keeper, but he's a very promising, very talented keeper. He's played for Russian under. Well, I don't know exactly which age group it is. I think it's under 19s He's played for. Um, so. You know, Arsenal Tula making some interesting moves there. So, yeah, it's certainly been an interesting transfer window, not for headline transfer fees, but but some moves that are going to make some changes around the bottom of the table, I think. Yeah, and the other one that I just saw is that uh, Ufa signed... Oh, this is going to be hard. Yeah, Gepulon Sedahmet. Uh, from, from Taras, from Kazakhstan. <laughs> 18 year old striker. Um, that's, that's interesting because, uh, the Russian football Premier League and the, the Kazakh Premier League have a development deal going on, right? So I wonder if that's one of those, but yeah, 18 year old striker with, um, a very long name playing for Ufa. So that's, that's just, it's just, I just saw his name. Like, what is he doing there? But yeah, I guess that's, that's, um, one of those, one of those transfers that you're going to see. Um, used well, to be... apparently his nickname is Kazakh Messi. So he is uh-huh. one of those, uh, super talented kids. So uh, we'll see, you know, they already had one super talented kid who plays now for Man City. So maybe they know what they're doing. That's true. Uh, Ufa are very good at finding players, right? Right, yeah. so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one. He's com- being compared when you go to his, uh, I love going to the transfer mark pages and they have all these other players up and he's mostly compared with South Americans. So maybe <laughs> that's where they, uh, that link comes in with the Kazakh Messi. So we'll, we'll keep an out, uh, lie it out for Yerke Pulan Sedahmet from, Good job. from Ufa. Yeah. See what I yeah, did there? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, going to conveniently not comment on him just so I don't have to say the name. <laughs> oh, it can't be worse than Bryce and his uh, Typhoon Korkut. Um, yeah, I think that will be forever, forever the name that's going to stand out. But yeah, so that's that's like the, the last few transfers. Oh, the one that just came through, uh, Ruben Kazan dropped one of their goalkeepers to Anisai. So I guess Ruben uh, is continuing to to chop chop down their squad. Um, but boys, I want to, so that's basically it, right? For, from many transfer stories, anything else that you guys want to include in this segment? The, the only like last bit of things, because the, there was rumor that, um, Azdoev from Rubin might leave to Zenit, but apparently he's staying. So that was an, another rumor which people have been talking. But yeah, I think we captured every, all the key things which happened this week. Excellent. Hold on. I want to move this over to the, yeah, this is, this is, this is a cool one. Uh, it's, it's kind of, you kind of mentioned it last week, Andrew, the UEFA Youth League. And, um, kind of have to explain the way the UEFA Youth League works, right? You have the, the group stage, just like the Champions League that includes all the teams from 
all the youth teams from the teams that have qualified from the, the senior teams, right? And so you got your Spartak, your CSKA, of course, in, in that, in that competition. And, um, they were played normal group stage matches. And then Spartak finished second in their UEFA Youth League group, right? And went through to the playoff stage. Then you have an, another segment of the UEFA Youth League, which is a knockout stage. And that includes all the teams, uh, all the national champions. So, um, Krasnodar actually got through on the UEFA Youth League through the championship round, uh, making it to that playoff stage. So the second teams, uh, the, the teams that finished second in the group, they face off teams that um, got through the championship route of the tournament. The reason why I mentioned this, because we don't often talk about the UEFA Youth League on this podcast, is because they, the two Russian teams actually did quite well in this tournament. I mean, yes, they both lost, and then we're going to start with, with your team first, um, Tim, and that's, that's Spartak. Um, they drew Inter Milan in this in this stage of the tournament. Um, Inter, of course, coming through on the championship route, right? And um, actually held them to a draw. And then, unfortunately, what they do at this uh, tournament is you go straight from, uh, if it's a draw, you don't, you, there's no second leg. Um, it's just a one-off and you go straight into penalties and they lost on penalties. But there's still encouraging signs from um, Spartak's youth, the youth team, isn't it? Oh, that was a brilliant game. Like, I watched the game. It was just unbelievable. Like, it was, um, Spartak was losing. Spartak was winning. Spartak then was losing again. And then the last minute they came back and uh, scored a penalty. It was really, uh, it was really an, an interesting game. It finished 3-3. Um, uh, Spartak, they, sh- they played better. And they, at the, when they were leading 2-1, they didn't score a brilliant chance, which probably would have put the, the game to bed. But then in the end of the game happened uh, what often, not often, what always happens to all the Russian clubs in the spring uh, time because the teams they play against are in the season and so, and the Russian clubs always just, that's their first official game. So in the end of every game, like that's the scariest time for every fan of a Russian club in, in Europa League is the last 20 minutes of every game. Uh, this is when the physical conditions are not the best. And this is exactly what happened in this game. So Spartak was a better team for the probably, I don't know, 70 minutes of the game. Maybe not 70, the first, uh, maybe like for the 50 minutes of the game. But in the end, um, this Danish absolutely spectacular player who I never heard of um, anything about uh, from Inter showed up and he scored in every game... Uh, he played for Inter in that tournament and he uh, pretty much made two goals, like the one goal of the, the second goal, which is kind of, it's, it's still his goal, but it was um, own goal. So it's, it's not given, it wasn't given to him. But it was unbelievable. The guy just, I don't know who he is. He just showed up and he's like really level above everyone in, 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 in this tournament. And um, yeah, and then in the end of the game, it was the Copa State went to penalty and uh, Spartak was just horrible with their penalties. It was just a very, very bad penalty shootout. Uh, but it was a great game, great experience for, for the young kids to play at this legendary San Siro Stadium, which was obviously uh, empty. 
compared to the other game, which we will talk in a few minutes. Uh, but it was just a great experience for the players to do that. It's, 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 I think it's a brilliant idea that so yeah, for Champions League, uh, for youth kids, because they get experienced uh, playing against top clubs at big stadiums, um, in this similar conditions, um, like in the central tournament conditions as, as, uh, Champions League. So, um, it, regardless of the result, uh, the guys, the kids got the, their experience. And um, I'm happy that you know I was glad to, I was glad to watch this 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 the squad. We have a, quite a few players which already have been training with the um, Spartak uh, main squad. Uh, there's a left defender, oh right, the left defender Raskazov, who is he's only 17 years old, so it's very hard to oh no, sorry, he's 19, but it's very hard to say uh, you know what will what will happen in the future, but he's definitely an extremely talented guy. So, yeah, there's a few players which uh, to watch out, but uh, in the end, that's just a great experience playing international football. Um, yeah, let's talk about the other game, which was way more exciting. Yeah, the other game was a bit more exciting. Although, you know, it's, I find it fascinating because this tournament always offers sort of a glimpse into the future, doesn't it? You, yeah. get, you get to see players in the stage and you think, well, oh, this could be a gem. In a few years, we'll, we'll be all talking about them. And exactly. I, I, I guess in this next game, there is, there's one kid in particular that we're going to profile a little bit, um, because he's already made a name for himself on the senior stage. But yeah, the, the, um, Krasnodar game, Andrew, you already were excited, very excited about this last week, but boy, oh boy, mm-hmm. when you, when you look at the pictures, um, from Krasnodar, um, Krasnodar faced Real Madrid and Krasnodar went through the championship route. That stadium was almost sold out, wasn't it, Andrew? It was It was a spectacular sight in itself. And what makes it even more impressive is the fact that they, they got a higher attendance than virtually any game the seniors have had. I think there may have been one game when they opened Krasnodar Stadium. But um, other than that, 32,000 people, I think it was, Um I mean, in a, in a youth game, this is quite spectacular. I mean, Tim was saying off pod that the ticket prices were fairly low, which may have had some help towards it. But even still, you know, we, we all know very well that low ticket prices is by no means a guarantee of, of a high attendance um, in, in Russian football. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know what I like about this tournament is that it really throws up some fascinating ties that would never happen otherwise. Crowds that I would never... If it was a qualification straight from, you know, where they finished in their youth league, you'd very rarely get a Krasnodar against Real Madrid tie. And yet here you've got one of the one of the, if not the best, youth academies in 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 Russia at the moment, um, showing what eight years, nine years of hard work has developed against a, a, one of the best clubs in the world, um, and. You know what I was most pleased about was the fact that two of the players in that side have played a reasonable amount of first-team football. Um, uh, Magomed Sulimov, he scored a brilliant goal uh, in the first half of the season. I forget the opponent exactly, but he's, he's a young attacking player. Uh, and then Ivan Ignatiev. Um, these two guys are already first-team players um, to a degree. They've at least made their first-team debut. So you mentioned the stars coming through, Manu. Um, these two are the big names in that youth side, uh, Ignatiev and uh, Sulimanov. Um, but, you know, the, the, we'll, we'll go into more detail on this, I'm sure. But this is an absolutely brilliant stage for these youngsters. It really gives them 
a sense of purpose. Because how many times do we see in modern football young players showing a lot of promise at 18, 19 and finding their pathway to competitive football blocked? Um, so, you know, whatever else UEFA has done wrong, I think this is something they should be commended for. It's a great tournament, throwing up a stage like this, but also just as much a sign of how well Krasnodar are doing, both off the pitch and on it, to stage a game with such high attendance. So, um, yeah, it was just a, such a shame that um, Krasnodar, for, you know, and they and they held their own. They, they weren't lucky to get a nil-nil. If anything, they were unlucky and had a couple of good chances in the first half. So, um, yeah, what a stage. What a game. Um, just such a shame that both Spartak and Krasnodar couldn't make it through. But um, there's no sh- no shame in uh, in losing. So, credit to the youngsters. Yeah, and I mean, this is, this is the sort of thing that Made headline news, right? Tim, and the the this is the new attendance record in um, a UEFA Youth League game. Um, but when I looked at the when I looked at the actually the record set for Youth League games under the umbrella of UEFA, Russia holds I think it was five of the ten games um, that have the top ten attendance were held in the post-Soviet space. So what is it exactly that makes Russians or people from the post-Soviet space um, come out in such large numbers for youth games. I mean, over here in North America, it's quite normal, right, that you that you attend youth games as well. But to, to go out and support a youth site like that, um, in most European countries, you would sort of snub, would you would sort of ignore a game like that, wouldn't you? Yeah, because probably like you know, like to, to for Inter fans, let's say, to see a youth team of Spartak, it doesn't really mean much. But for Krasnodar fans, uh, seeing Real Madrid youth side, it's 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 interesting experience. Plus, it's uh, like the the youth stadium. Uh, in general, um, if if we just focus on on Krasnodar, um, Galitsky, who is the owner of the club, uh, he said that his dream at some point of 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 in the future to have eleven players. Uh, from his academy playing the first team. I think it's a little bit like utopic, this idea, because, you know, in modern day football, when do you see that when 11 uh, people from, uh, from academy plays? But it, at least it shows his idea. It shows his, his dreams and his goals. And it also explains why he invests so much money into the academy. Academy is just unbelievable. Andrew is right. Uh, uh, Russian, two best Russian academies right now is Spartak and Krasnodar. And as we can see, it shows in, in terms of just youth football. Um, those, those academies just unbelievable, like wonderful, wonderful conditions just for young players to grow, um, to, to develop and to play their football and just to get a better player. But at the same time, we don't see too many, um, players. I just talking from Spartak and, experience that not that many players actually transition to the first team. The one player, for example, Spartak has right now is uh, Ilya Kutepov. He's the only who really is the product of that academy and who regularly plays in the first team. Um, like like Andrew said, Krasnodar has a couple more players because yeah, we, they had this, this two. And then there was uh, Ilya Zhigulev, who also is the also the, the player who who is the, at the academy. But still, you know, it shows that, you know, that the project is working and that the dream that uh, Sergei Galski has about having 11 uh, players in the in the starting lineup, maybe it's not that utopic as, as, mm-hmm. as, as, as at least at least to him. But uh, but again, like uh, it's a very young club. We need to remember that the club is what, 10 years old or something like that. 
uh, and uh, to just to to come from nothing. There was no club ten years ago, and they have a wonderful stadium. They are definitely one of the best clubs in Russia, top five club in Russia, and their youth team is doing great playing versus Real Madrid at the sold down pew, a beautiful new stadium. It just shows um, what kind of an amazing job Galitsky accomplished in this 10 years and um, regardless of who do you support in in Russia everyone's second favorite club is Krasnodar just because they're they're just it, it just they're doing just the right things like they're doing it for the love of football and it's it's just it just it just unbelievable results so massive congrats to Krasnodar on, on just their existence yeah Krasnodar is an interesting one it's a really really interesting club and you said not even 10 years, that's, that's correct. They were founded on 22nd of February, 2008. Um, so that's a very young club. And what they have done is, yeah, really incredible, really. In that short time, um, first of all, to get up all the way to the top division, um, in such a short span and to, of course, um, build the sort of infrastructure that allows them to be a club of this magnitude, uh, I think is quite incredible. And I think what's also interesting is that Sergei Galitsky, the owner of the club, he doesn't, you know, this, this club became big at a time when oligarchs spent a lot of money on Russian football, a lot of money. And I mean, they did too. They did spend money too because they, they had to kickstart the project, right? You can't, it's, you can't have a youth academy out of nothing. You need to, um, have a top team to support your youth academy and vice versa. So, of course, when you only start nine years ago, it takes, you don't have right away youth players coming through to the system. That's not how it works, right? It, it takes about a, a generation in football is about 10 years. So I think they're now at the verge where they can, where they can, um, sort of harvest, um, their first generation of youth players. And we, we've seen some of the results that they have come up with. And one generation, it's incredible with this UEFA Youth League match. And players that, you know, that have come through. But, um, Sergei Galitsky, and I mean, Andrew, you researched him for one of the articles on Football Grad. And this is, a, this is a while ago, but, um, one thing that I, for example, didn't know, that's, this is actually fascinating. He's of Armenian descent and he took the name of his wife, uh, Victoria yeah. Galitskaya, I guess because, his birth name wasn't exactly something that stood out um, as much. Galitsky is, of course, something that's more, um, for, probably possibly for business reasons, more easy to pronounce, always, even in Russia, than uh, Arudyunin, his his actual birth name, isn't it? Well, yeah, actually, you know, interestingly enough, when I when I wrote uh, when I wrote an article, feature article about two years ago on it, um, it was actually picked up by by the club and it was put in his direction. I was told. And I was told he wasn't very happy when I'd written that he was very clever to to take his wife's name for appearances' sake. Um, and it was it, well. It's the, the interesting thing about him is he thinks very carefully about every single minute detail. Um, you know, whether it's about his personal approach, whether it's about the academy itself. Um, and you know, you know what I find what I find refreshing is the patience. Um, with which he has gone about this project. Very little is really known about his deep personal life. I mean, if you think, Manu, what you just said kind of proves my point a little bit. It's surprising to find out about 
the background behind his name and his and his background because he very rarely gives um, he really very rarely gives interviews to the press and he just gets on with it. He let, he trusts football people, um, you know, and he's he's aware that he needs to expand the academy and the appeal of the club and. You know, he brought in one of his finance managers from Magnet to run the academy, who's not a football man. Um, I spoke to him myself, um, Adam Fandukian, um, and he's 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 not a he's not a football man. He's a businessman, but again, he trusts the right coaches. And Galuski is there every day. He goes down to the training ground every single day, and he, he's on the pitch. He's always there watching, not in an obsessive way, but in a genuine interest in the game he loves the game um and it's just it's just brilliant to see somebody who's got the he's got the stomach to you know to put a fight up to to do it the right way not cave into the pressure of of spending too much money on the first team for you know on a superficial level so i i honestly think he's an he's uh, he's just a beacon of light in russian football for for the way he's gone about um what he's doing um, you know, he, he's a savvy operator. He's, 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 he's in comfortably with, you know, with the ruling circle, shall we say. Um, but he's also aware of the appeal of European football. Um, in, in a sense that, you know, do you remember when the Crimean League was being, was being proposed initially? Um, the, 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 the fledgling league that was, they were looking to get some backing from UEFA, and of course, UEFA were never going to give that. Galitsky originally opposed the idea because he, he realized he had to keep UEFA on side because the future of his club, the future of Russian football really has got to be through Europe to expand the appeal, um, of the club and, and the youth products. So I just think the guy's got vision. Um, he's got patience. He's got money. <laughs> he's got a lot of money, um, but he's using it in the right way. So I hope more teams follow follow his lead. I think it's also the way he made his money that's that stands out for me a little bit um, because he is, you know, we talked about two thousand eight um, oligarchs, right? And a lot of the oligarchs came from the resource based industry. He uh, he, however isn't uh he is he is owner or co-owner of magnet which is a large retail store chain and um he's actually one of the founders of the company and it's really interesting that he built this company from the ground up in from the 1990s so he's not one of those oligarchs that benefited from the redistribution of wealth um after the fall of the post soviet of the soviet union you know, when, when the Soviet Union fell, a lot of oligarchs benefited from the fact that they had inside knowledge um, through their, you know, youth league contacts, etc., where where they could just gobble up state property very quickly because they knew it was privatized before anyone else, um, you know, knew it was going to be privatized. He didn't um, go that route. He he became rich by his own means um, by founding a company out of nothing. And I think that's maybe, that's maybe also the key behind the philosophy that you see at Krasnodar, that the, that he managed to build a company out of nothing in, in the 1990s, you know, when retail probably wasn't at its easiest. And Tim, you can probably tell us more about that because, you know, yeah. this is the post-Soviet space. People didn't exactly have a lot of money. Um, yeah. so 
to do it that way is is really fascinating, and I think that really says a lot a lot about him, doesn't it, Tim? Absolutely, absolutely right, and that's a, a very good uh, similarity between uh, Magnit, uh, the chain of those uh, retail stores, and um, the football club, which he built also from nothing. And like you're absolutely right, in, in the nineties, it, it well, it was a tough time to start the business and uh, to bring the business to just a massive, massive numbers. Uh, I'm just looking at the v- Wikipedia page right now. It says ninety nine, uh, nine thousand nine hundred stores. Uh, in in Russia, like that's a lot. Like how many just em- how many employees does this company have? It must be I don't know thousands of people. Uh, so they, he quarter, quarter of a million to two hundred sixty thousand people they employ. Look, like so so this person like this company gives job to so many people, and uh, really like it's just the the it just shows them that really like you said like uh, it's a very very common. So if you take a look at 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 all the Russian oligarchs, nine out of ten, if if not ten out of ten, it will be resource based. And when Soviet Union broke up, and it was a really shady time in Russia because there was no really understanding. It's a brand new country. The, the constitution was not uh, very organized, so the people just got on resources, and that's how they made the, their money. It's pretty much yeah, like who do you know, and like who was the smartest in that given time. Yeah, Sergei Galsky went completely different direction. He started a, a small business, like a, a, a chain of. Um, Retail stores, that's a completely different approach. You selling uh, cheese, I don't know, milk and other things. It's definitely less, uh, in terms of profits, it's less money than selling oil or gas. So, but he built it to be like one of the big, biggest employers in, in Russia and like, um, a store which is pretty much all over Russia. Uh, so very, very similar story to his club and, and I think that's how it kind of kind of works with the club, like uh, the mentality of uh, bringing your youth players also to 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 play in, to play in the game, to play in the pure football because they really like to to keep the ball, like they they really like the pure the football for purists. Kind of the same uh, approach to running the business. So you really take an idea and you try to develop. Um, Building a successful business, so I think uh, I think I like this uh, similarity model which you started between Magnet and uh, Krasnodar, and um, definitely everything. What um, I definitely know more about football than about running a retail store, but uh, he, everything what he is doing is right. He built a br- beautiful stadium. Uh, right now, a club with only ten years of history. It's fairly, fairly common that 20, 30,000 show up to their home games. So they, they were able to develop this, the, the fan base. Uh, they play good, uh, good football. They have good players. They are, uh, consistent in the, in the several years they play in, in Europe. So everything what they are doing is, is right. So massive, massive respect to Sergei Galski and his club, Krasnodar. Yeah. And they actually knocked out the, the big club. Um, in Krasnodar, didn't they? Because there was another team called Kuban Krasnodar that were actually already in existence during the time of the Soviet Union. And, um, it used to be the only city outside of Moscow in Russia that had two first division teams. And now Kuban, of course, is, um, yeah, struggling in the second division. Uh, so he, he, he be- became the top dog in that city, uh, quite quickly. And um, really on solid foundation, so really well-run club. And it looks like that maybe the first star uh, could could be could be even Ignatiev. Um, he's a very young and exciting prospect. We're going to have a feature on him probably very soon in Football Guard. 
he scored 10 goals in five UEFA Youth League games. Um, yeah. Which is just remarkable. And he scored a goal every 48 minutes <laughs> for that, for that side. Um, but he's already scored two goals in four, um, Russian football Premier League games. When Fedor Smolov was out injured, he played for the senior side and he did really well. So, you know, at his age to, to do that, he's 19. Um, it looks like he could be a, a real, a real star in the making, right, Tim? Yeah, hopefully. And uh, we always talk about the, the transition from youth football to the um, to the adult football. Uh, so that's always a question. But the, as you can see, he already started playing in 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 the league, and hopefully he'll get chances. And with with uh, potentially small of leaving uh, this summer, maybe he will get even more playing minutes. So that's how you know maybe slowly developing him. Um, could be could be a um, a great opportunity for a young kid, and maybe he will be one of those first um, academy stars who will be actually playing full time for for Krasnodar. So yeah, that's and it's great for Russian national team that they're doing this. So there's a generation of, of players coming up. So like I said, that's everything they're doing is great. Yeah, then the numbers are just phenomenal. When I look at this youth youth team numbers, uh, his scoring rate is just through the roof. So um. Keep an eye out on him. Even Ignatyev from Krasnodar, he could be, could, he could be the next big star, um, that we see in that region. But boys, that's it for Krasnodar. Um, we're going to spend basically the rest of this podcast talking about the Champions League game for next week. And that's Schachter versus Roma. And, um, I'm very excited for this game because I think it's, it's going to be a, a really interesting matchup. And we're going to do things a little bit different because we have we have time to do it because we only have one game to focus on in the Champions League for this podcast in particular. Um, first of all, how did these two clubs get here? Schachter and Roma um, both had very difficult groups. Um, Roma was in a group with Chelsea and Atletico Madrid and poor Karabakh that we had to talk about quite a bit. In the, the first uh, part of the this season, um, but Schachter didn't exactly have an easy route either. Um, getting here, they finished second in the group, um, in a group that included Napoli and Manchester City, and um, finished second in the group ahead of Napoli. So they really know how to get the job done, right, Andrew? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think. Uh Something we've been, I don't, I've got, had the feeling I've been waiting for a breakout Champions League campaign from Shakhtar for, for a few seasons now. And I think this is the one that I really, really am excited about because, you know, during the group stages, when, you, if you look, um, if you look at, pardon me, on paper, the teams they've had to play, um, you know, Manchester City, they really are the most, well, one of the most powerful financially, um, anyway, Napoli atop of Serie A. Um, Shakhtar on paper shouldn't really be getting out of that group, but they looked in control for most of that campaign. You've got to remember, after they went to, um, after they went to Manchester in the second to last, before they went to Manchester, the second to last group game, they'd won three out of four and they were all, almost, almost on the verge of securing, um, early passage already. So, um, I mean, you know, for me, I've, I've always banged this drum, but for me, it's, it's seeing the likes of Bernard come through and get a platform that I'm most excited about because you know here's here's a young here's a young guy who's come over he had a, an explosive start to his career um in Ukraine and you know may perhaps a quiet season or two and to have the character to come back um at a club that is 
is perfect for him. It's it's just so exciting to see. And I think one thing that's a Shakhtar's advantage is simply that a lot of people will ever so slightly underplay the significance of Shakhtar at this stage. They might not pay so much attention to them. Um, I personally feel they have a real, real chance um, of, uh, of springing a surprise here. I, I think they've got every chance of going through over two legs. And, and then any, at that stage, once you get through, you know, anybody will be scared of them, and they should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I would go along with that, but and let's let's break these teams down a little bit, shall we? And let's start with Roma. Um, as I said, Roma had a very very good campaign in the Champions League to get um, to finish first in the group that includes Atletico, Chelsea, um, and Karabakh. That's 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 quite strong. Um, but there is some weaknesses to the side, isn't there, Tim? Danny Pellegrino here with a very merry iconic podcast here to tell you about AMC Plus with best Christmas ever on AMC Plus. Every day feels like Christmas morning from new holiday favorites like Elf and one of my personal favorites, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. You can spend the holiday season opening up only the good stuff. Plus, you'll get a stocking stuff with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. And you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Well, I'm... The, the, like every team has weaknesses, but to be quite honest, I like obviously they didn't have a they, they're not having a, the a great season they had uh, last couple years under Spalletti. Uh, it's uh, it's it's not going as good as it was. Uh, De Francesco, who is uh, their fairly new coach, he doesn't deliver the same results as as um, our good friend Spalletti was delivering. So they're still fighting for that. Um, Champions League uh, spot right now, but on paper they have a very strong and very experienced uh, lineup, and I think that's what kind of gives them a little bit more maybe chances of going through. Uh, to me, it's a fifty-fifty tie. It's really hard to say. Like it's, I think it's a very even tie, and it's it's the one to watch if you really want to watch like an interesting football. Uh, but at the same time, Roma has, I think, more of those. Uh, players of that caliber who had experience at this level. I'm talking like Galan, obviously, Jacko, De Rossi, players of that uh, experience who has been in those situations before. So I think that's that kind of Roma's advantage. At the same time, um, if you take recent form, uh, like Shakhtar doesn't really have a recent form, mm. uh, but if you take Roma, um, their recent form hasn't been phenomenal. I watched the, the highlights of the last recent games, I watched the highlights again against that game against Benevento. They won 5-2. Uh, like it's not the biggest. Uh, Benevento is definitely not the world beaters. So winning over Benevento is not like the biggest achievement. But at the same time, the recent games weren't that successful. And um, they definitely don't have... Um, they're not in the top form based based on the last recent games. So that's, I think, Shakhtar's 
chance. But at the same time, like I said, Shakhtar, they don't really have a recent form because uh, like with any uh, post-Soviet football grad club, they're just starting the season. And um, we also need to see how this will uh, work out for, for, for the club. Yeah, the, the one thing with Roma is, and this was really weird during the winter transfer window, is that, of course, they had some financial fair play issues, right? And, and, and I believe it's U.S. ownership, actually. And um, there was all these rumors that certain players could leave, that um, that they would have to even sell Eden Checo, and the deal was pretty much done already for mm-hmm. him to join, to leave Roma and join um, Chelsea. So it shows to me that, although this is a good side, and they were the, the, the team that scored the most goals in Italy last year, with 90 goals in 38 games. Um, so they, you know, they they know how to score goals. They really do. But they seem to be off the pace a little bit, and I wonder how how the off-field stuff is affecting the squad um, a little bit, right? The the fact that there's been all these these financial fair play issues, which means that the team could maybe be banned from playing in Europe next year um, because they have to make a certain amount of money because they overspend and the investors overspend a little bit, and it's it's really interesting. Um, how that's going to affect them. Um, of course, going deep in the Champions League means more money, more income. And that's, that's a good motivator, um, for them, you know, the, so that they, um, staying in the Champions League as long as possible will make them money. And that's, um, something then maybe to look out for. And I think the, you already touched on the other thing. And then that can get us to, brings us to the weaknesses and the strengths of really of Schachter Donetsk. Roma in the middle of a season. You know, they, they, they played on Sunday, um, against Benevento and they won that game 5-2. Although Benevento is that team that has, I think they've won their first game, um, towards the very end of the, the yeah. first half of the season. You know, they're one of those very tiny clubs. So I, I think probably my pup team could de- be defeat Benevento at the current stage. So I wouldn't <laughs> take this too serious, but they are in mid-season. They are in the middle of playing. Um, the Serie A and Andrew winter break <laughs> sound like a broken record but that is, seems to be such a disadvantage right now because Schachter are going back and they're going to be going back to a very cold Kharkiv yes Roma have to go there too it's going to be freezing cold I looked up the weather report it's going to be minus six with snowfall so yeah um, maybe a down not a, not great for the Italians either but um, Schachter coming out of a winter camp going straight into this and that's always very difficult isn't it yeah you know what actually that's a very good point Manu that a lot of people overlook is that you know people will say that the away leg in Ukraine will be an advantage to Shakhtar but just like you said Shakhtar haven't been in Ukraine for the last few weeks they've been training in warm weather um, and it, I mean this is the case with all the the Russian uh, well, the, the, the Soviet space teams that have a winter break um, so yeah, the how much can they call Harkov home? I mean, they've they. they I, I honestly I can't answer that question. It's so such a such a complex background to, to to you know how they have had to settle outside of of Donetsk and whether they will or when they will return. Who knows? Is that playing on their mind? Um, but what I will say is that they have played well in Europe at home, so that's it's got to give them some uh, some confidence. Um, but yeah, like you say, the, the winter break is, is, it can be a killer. Um, 
But you know, on the other hand, a lot of a lot of Shakhtar squad, of course, are um, are Brazilians who have got a mixture of their background and having played in Ukraine. So that will help them, I think, um, acclimatize to playing in the latter stages um, of competitive continental football. Um, they've got the experience there. Um, you know, the likes of Tyson still still at the club. Fred, I mean, he'll almost certainly, it looks like, be moving to Manchester City in the summer, but he's still there for the time being, at least. OK, yes, he's only 24, but, you know, they've got a lot of experience. And I just, um, oh, Christ, it's so so many factors to play into this, Shakhtar. Um, I think, in a weird way, the, the fear factor of playing so, well, relatively speaking, so far out east will be to their advantage. Um, Roma have had to go, of course, to, to Karabakh, and this is this is much shorter journey, but even still, they will have in their head, there's that little mental block. We're going all the way out to Ukraine. Um, and I think that's what they've got to, they, they've got to take advantage um, at home. So oh, can they adapt in time? That's the big question. That's the, that's the million dollar question for, for Ukrainian and Russian teams at this stage. But uh I just I have the feeling that they are going to be confident of going through in this time, and and personally, if my money was on it, I'd I'd have my money on Shakhtar. Yeah, we'll, we'll go to predictions in just a moment because this is actually something that I asked the Twitter community as well. Uh, I I think you point out quite a few things here that are quite important, and I think when it, when it comes to the the home stadium, um, home stadium, you know, home where is home for Shakhtar? Shakhtar's home. Is in the Donbass. The reality in the Donbass is it, it's a war zone. Um, without going too deeply into the politics behind it, they can't play there, right? So that's that's going to be a tricky one. But I think in in Lviv, the club didn't really feel at home, and uh, that was that's something that they really struggled with. And I've, I've been to Lviv when and I, I watched Shakhtar play there, and it, it seemed strange because Lviv is so different. It's almost like a different country than the east of Ukraine. So in Kharkiv, that seems to be, they seem to have been able to really find a home, um, and play there. And, and uh, the, the fans in, in Kharkiv seem to enjoy, um, having them there as well. There's a lot of people, a lot of refugees from the Donbass live in Kharkiv. So I think they're going to have that home advantage. I think the biggest problem really is the winter break and the weather, right? I think we basically nailed that down. What kind of form will they be in? This is their first game to go straight from a winter break. Not even having any league games into a Champions League clash, I think on paper there is it would be a fifty-fifty chance for the two teams. Um, but that winter break is just such an X factor. But looking at this winter break, okay, fine. Well, that's something that they have to deal with. Um, what I found really interesting is when I looked at the coaches and um, the way they play. Both played at four-two-three-one system, um, and the Italian teams have a reputation for playing very defensive football. Um, Roma are not like that at all. They have a very offensive mind. Um, the last season, actually, there's only been two years in the history of European football where the Bundesliga did not finish as a top-scoring league in Europe. Um, and last year was one of them, and that's that's because Italy was actually the top-scoring league. So um, it's actually interesting that, you know, that, that the fact the country that invented the most defensive style of football um, was actually one of the highest scoring leagues in Europe. And this season, actually, the Bundesliga is back on top, but Italy is second. So, you know, you're actually going to have a team that knows how to play attacking football. 
And I find this what I, when I looked at the two coaches and the way they set their teams up, they both have that mindset of playing fast attacking style football. So Tim, are we going to get a back and forward match in this? Hopefully, yes, because like you, you just you just made a case for it. Um, in terms of just like the Roma's uh, attackers being not as good as last year, they lost Mo Salah, who now obviously plays at Liverpool. That he was a big contributor in that, and they had a pretty great partnership of Jacko. Uh, but at the same time, Jacko is still there. The Jacko still scores, and he has been playing at the top level there. So, and uh, you know, all the Brazilians, beautiful Brazilians from Shakhtar. Yeah, we might have a very High scoring and very attacking game on, on our hands. Um, even Roma, you know, I don't think Roma defense is there the strongest, uh, line. Actually, attackers looks very, very more, uh, tasty if you just compare, um, Roma's lines. And yeah, I like, uh, to me, my favorite system is 4-2-3-1. Both clubs play that system. I think that's an attacking system, but at the same time, there's a balance. Uh, so hopefully, yeah, that's a good, that's actually going to be a great, um, Great game to watch. So, uh, I'm, it's 50-50, really. It's 50-50, both, because there's, if you take advantages, disadvantages, both clubs have those. And it's really, it, it will come down to just how the games will turn out. If there will be like, um, an early goal or like how did the away goals will work out. So it's, a, it's a, it's a very exciting tie. Yeah. And let's look at some of the key players in this because you mentioned some already. Uh, and this, this is mouthwatering. Uh, just, I'm thinking about seeing those players square off against each other. I, I, I just think, oh, this game is going to be so much fun. So the key players for Schachter, I put down Bernard, Marlos, Tyson, Fred, Ferreira. Um, Fred, of course, Manchester City bound, it looks like. So a lot of Manchester City fans will, will tune into this, but a lot of Manchester City fans will also tune in because when you look at the other side, Checo, El Sharavi, Strootman, Allison, the Brazilian keeper who has been linked heavily with a move to the English Premier League. Uh, a fantastic prospect. And Edin Dzeko, I, I personally have a big soft spot for Edin Dzeko. I think he's, yeah. he's one of those very underrated strikers. He yeah, gets his, he, he gets his job done. Uh, he's elegant. Uh, I remember when he played for Wolfsburg, he was just absolutely fantastic. He gets his job done, uh, scoring lots of goals in a league that's very difficult to score lots of goals in. Um, I made that comparison and got some evil, evil, an evil stare from a Dutch person because I said he's a little bit like Marco van Basten. I stick to that. I am not going to move from that position away. Sorry, Dutch people, but I think there is a, there is a case to be made that they're very similar. I think he's a fantastic player. I, I personally think he alone is worth turning on the television for. But so we have a really, really great, um, lineup of different players and players that, you know, will make a name for themselves elsewhere, maybe because Bernard looks like he's, he could be leaving on a free transfer. So, um, if you were interested in looking just in a bunch of stars that could be coming your way, um, in <laughs> the future, right? Then that, that is a tie to look at because you, you're going to see some really amazing players. I personally have gotten to see Marlos and Tyson play live. Um, on the field and the, the speed that they have is incredible. It's just absolutely amazing. When they turn it on, they're just so fast. Uh, any club in the world would probably like to have them. And, um, someone who's been really good this year is Facundo Ferreira, who's been just, sh um, shooting out the lights and <laughs> in, in Ukraine this season. So he's a fantastic player as well. So I think when we, when you look at that entire setup of the players that you're going to get, um, a lot of flair that you're going to get. This is going to be an enticing game to watch. So, boys, this brings us to the final thing. Predictions. And I actually 
ask Twitter. Um, I like doing this. You know, my, my polls are being, being very, being something that people just love to take part in. And, um, I asked people who will go through Schachter or Roma. 34% have voted Schachter, 66% Roma. Now, what do you guys think? Uh, is the Twitter community right? Tim, how about you? I actually on that, on that Twitter poll, uh, voted for Roma. And, uh, so I'm <laughs> one of those 66%. And um, as much as I think it's going to be a 50-50 time, but if I have to pick a side, I will go for Roma just because of the uh, experience of players which they have. Um, it's funny how you outlined all the key players, and there was no defenders in that in that lineup. Yeah, interesting. It was all eh? attack, attacking players, and that's true. I completely agree with that. So if you look at both sides, so it's going to be an interesting game, and if it's going to be a high-scoring game, it's really hard to predict how it will turn out, but I'm just basing this on two factors that, uh, like I said, Roma has a little bit more of those uh, top-level players like Kalarov have played his whole life and Jacko played at this Champions League level, so they had that experience a little bit more than Shakhtar, plus the that the Roma is in the middle of a season. That's kind of what I'm basing my um, my my decision on. Um so yeah, so I think Roma, but at the same time, obviously, I was going. I will be rooting for Shakhtar, and I'll be watching this game with a great interest. Andrew, well, unlike Tim, I'm not a traitor. I'm going. For, I, I actually genuinely think <laughs> Shakhtar's done yet. <laughs> no, no. I mean, Tim, Tim makes a valid point, and um, you know, if my head, if I'm going with my head, you've got anybody looking at this sense. We would have to say it's going to be a very, very close tie. But the reason I, the reason I genuinely am backing Shakhtar is because they have been so, so impressive. Not not lucky, not relying entirely on um, the atmosphere at home, but just genuinely playing such quick, like you mentioned, Manu, I think that's the key for me, how quick Shakhtar are when they attack. Mm. Um, the players they've got um, are just absolutely custom-made for European football. The pace and the, the speed of thought as well in this is this is what makes me confident that Shakhtar will go through this season. Um, you know they've really surprised me. If I'm honest, I didn't quite expect them to get four wins in the group stage, but um, they were good value for all of them. Um, you know, even in the, the Manchester City away game, they were um, they okay. They were they were they lost yes, mm. but they weren't completely outplayed as if they didn't deserve to be there. So. Roma, they've got their issues off the pitch as well. Um, they've got some great players, but I just think it's the slight, relative, unknown factor about Shakhtar, which is going to be the decisive factor for me. Um, I think at home they're going to they're going to be exceptionally dangerous. So I, I think Shakhtar will go through. I'm going with Shakhtar too, for the simple reason that um, that they have shown against Napoli that they can beat Italian teams and. Um, I am, I still think this is a 50-50 match because the unknown is the winter break for me, but I am, I'm going to go with Schachter Donetsk. I, I think that they can do it and they can go through, which would be huge because the quarterfinals then, um, the next stage, they will be back in, in league form, right? At that point and then, um, have another two really big games for them. But yeah, I, I'll, I'll stick with my guns. I'm going to say Schachter Donetsk are going to go through. It's going to be a high scoring game. Um, I really hope that that's, that's how it's going to be. The Audi players that I outlined, they're all going to score lots of goals. 
And that's actually a good reason for anyone to tune in. Um, that, you know, just to watch this game because I think it's actually going to be a fantastic game to watch. So yeah, I think that, uh, Schachter will go through. Um, so we're actually going against the trend. We have, uh, two people vote for Schachter and one against. So we're actually at the opposite of the, my Twitter poll. We'll see how that goes. Uh, we, we, Andrew, we might have to, uh, swallow our words, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, boys, that's it. That's it. We're at the end of our podcast. Andrew, um, lots of previews coming up on the Football Grad Network this week. But other than that, what are you up to? Well, uh, most of all, I'm, I'm still planning uh, getting to St. Petersburg for Zenit's return leg against Celtic in the Europa League um, on the 22nd, 23rd, next Thursday. Um, I'm still not 100% certain if I will, but if I do, I will certainly be covering it for for football grad and get some uh, post-match reaction. So I, I there's nothing beats nothing beats uh, live reporting. I love the previews, but live reporting at the match that's the bread and butter. So that's hopefully what I'll be able to confirm uh, in the next few days. So that's that's my main target really. Fingers crossed. Tim, how about you? What have you been up to? My main target is the Thursday uh, match against Athletic Bilbao. I mm. can't wait. Uh, for Spartak to get back in, into playing, and uh, I'm very nervous because, like, uh, there's there's this unknown of a winter break. The team wasn't very impressive in the preseason, so um, I'm all about that. And obviously, Champions League, I'll try to watch as many games as possible. There are some tasty ties coming up in the next couple of days uh, as we speak right now, or yeah, fairly soon. Sky will start playing against their game against Cervantes Vesda. So there's a lot of exciting football, but for me, the key of the day is uh, Thursday. Um, um, yeah, so if uh, people want to follow uh, Russian Tim 61 on Twitter and Rocket from Russia on Instagram. Uh, good stuff. Yeah, no, as you said, we have all the previews up. We actually previewed the Europa League matches on last week's podcast. So that's really, you can still tune into that. That's all on Acast. And it's also on footballground.com. It's on, on iTunes as well. So you can find uh, all our podcasts there. We have some fantastic podcasts. We have the the German Europa League games are previewed as well. So um, they, that's on the Gegen Pressing podcast, of course. And then, of course, all the previews will be up in written form. Some are already up to Europa League games. All the Champions League games are up. By the time this podcast will be out, the rest will be up as well. So that will be all on footballgrad.com or at footballgrad live on Twitter. You can follow me at Manuel Weff. Um, I like to put out controversial polls and um, <laughs> piss off people with transfer news. So, um, that's, that's all at Manuel Web. But yeah, guys, until next week, um, we're going to have a lot of exciting stuff happening until next week and we're going to talk about all of it on next week's podcast. Well, until then, das Vidanya. Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app.
Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.